Amen. Hey, once again, we're in our study, World Religions, Colts and the Occult, number 13, Bobby. Charismatic chaos, and last week, no offense, guys, but it was a little disappointing in your uh, cooperation. But the tagline is. All right, give it up for Bobby. But when Bobby leaves soon, the rest of you are in trouble. That's right, the untold history of the charismatic movement. Now, hey, by way of recap, we've already seen the intro disclaimer. I'm not saying every charismatic is involved in the occult, although we're dealing with it because a lot of it's getting into that arena. Okay, we saw that the movement is nothing new. The gibberish they're doing, we're going to see again tonight. That's nothing new. That's been going on the occults and stuff. Uh, then we began to take a look at the spiritual gifts because that's the big issue. They want to say that every single gift is in function for today. We would say, no, I don't think so. Based on not just because we're resisting the spirit in the last days, this movement, mighty wave of God. No, based on the context and the original usage and purpose. Okay, the spiritual gifts we saw, first of all, are given when? At salvation. Number two, they're given by who? By the Holy Spirit as He wills. We'll see that again. How, how do you know? Well, sometimes they're self-evident. Sometimes you've got to explore. Sometimes they uh, go through a process of equipping. And then what are they? And that's what we've been seeing for the last several weeks. Okay, the gift of prophecy, which does not mean what the charismatic, I say this every single week, right? It does not mean what they say, that you get a new uh, revelation from God. We don't need a new revelation from God. We got it all right here, okay? The uh, true meaning of the gift of prophecy, which is in function for today, Okay, is foretelling that which has already been told by God, i.e. here. So you're talking about somebody like a, a pastor or somebody like that. But the gift of prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leadership, mercy, wisdom, knowledge, and faith. Every single one of those are still in function today because we need them today. Okay, for edification for the body. Now, last time for you here, we began the journey of those who, that are not in function for today. And we had the gift of healing, miracles, and discernment, right? Does that mean that God can't heal? No, that's not what we're saying. Does that mean that God can't do a miracle? Of course not. God's got to do whatever he wants. But that's not what these were. These were specific gifts, as we saw, mainly to the apostles, okay, that every time they laid hands on somebody, every time somebody was healed instantly. Uh, miracles, when they prayed for somebody to raise from the dead, they rose from the dead. I mean, miraculous things, okay, uh, would go on. Why? Because the purpose at that time was to validate the man, the message, okay, and, and since it's been validated, i.e., we have the New Testament, the New Covenant, it's already been validated. We don't need it anymore, okay, is what we saw there, as well as finally the gift of discernment, right? That's a gift they needed back then because they were, quote, living it live as the New Testament was being brought forth from God, right? The new covenant and knowledge of it, they're living it live. So here comes these false teachers that, well, God told me to tell you, kind of what goes on today, unfortunately. And so how do they know? They don't have a New Testament completed at that point to tell them, well, no, that's not what the Bible said. So God gave people at that time the gift of discernment. So they say, no, 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 that is not from the Spirit of God. Don't listen to that guy. But since you and I do now have the completed Word of God, the Old and New Testament, uh, guess who all has the gift of discernment? Every single born-again Christian, if you stick to this book. Okay, that's the whole point. We can all have discernment if you just get into the Bible. Now, we're going to finish up tonight with the final two, okay, and uh, that are not in function for today, and that is the gift of tongues, and dare I say, because this is really what it is, the gift of languages, okay, and the gift of interpreting, okay, those languages. One last time, let's take a look, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, as we finish up the gifts and the section on those that are not in function for today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 <clears throat> is our opening text, and uh, we're going to start with verse 4. And take a look at what in the world is the gift of languages or tongues or what have you. Let's take a look here. All right. And you get there, say, Moo. Somebody besides Bobby. 
right, praise God for all two of you. All right, uh, let's take a look there. Verse 4, 1 Corinthians 12 says this, there's different kinds of gifts, but the what? The same spirit. There's different kinds of service, but the same what? Lord, there's different kinds of working, but the same who? God, who works all of them and all men, right? So who's responsible for these gifts? Uh, God, right? Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for what? For yourself? To build yourself up? It's a private thing for you and no, for the common good, right? We see that every single time. That's the purpose of the gifts, right? To edify the body. Now, to one there is given the Spirit, the message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, he says there. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits or discernment. To another, here it is, speaking in different kinds of tongues, glossalia, languages. And to still another, the interpretation of those tongues, i.e., languages. Now, all of these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and who gives them? He gives them to each one just as he determines. So it happens at salvation, and who's responsible for the gift gifts you get? It's him. Can you take a class and get it? Can you go to a conference and get it? What if you paid somebody some money to give it? What if somebody taught you how to do it? No, it comes from who? From God. But again, that's not being held today in the charismatic community, and that's why things are getting off base. Now, let's take a look at this first one of the two, and I'm going to kind of combine both of them, okay, because obviously they kind of fit together. And the first one, of course, is speaking in tongues, or the gift of languages, literally, okay? It is one of the, what's called the temporary sign gifts, okay? As we saw, that was here with the last three that we dealt with last time, okay? And it was given to the church and involved the divine ability to listen, speak in languages previously unknown to the speaker, Okay, another word. How many guys know Chinese? Right? Watch this. Ichi ni san shi go ruku hichi hachi kuju. Huh? Isn't it cool? First of all, it wasn't Chinese. That's Japanese 1 through 10. But I fooled you, right? Okay, so if I all of a sudden started speaking Japanese back in the day, because it's not in existence today, okay, how were you guys edified? Other than, okay, that sounded cool. Let's close in prayer. You right? No, you're not edified. So what would you need if everybody's going to be edified? Somebody supernaturally could not only, who never knew Japanese before, okay, somebody needed to now get up under the same supernatural unction of the Holy Spirit and interpret that into the language of the people so we can all be edified. Why? Because that's what the gifts are for, for the common good, right? But here's my point. I use the example of Japanese because Japanese really is a real language. How many guys can verify that tonight? Okay, but that's not what you're seeing with the charismatic movement. Okay, what is being brought forth is just frankly a bunch of gibberish. Okay, now let me show you again. Let's go back to this. We already kind of dealt with this before, but let's take a look at the biblical occurrence of when the gift of languages appeared. And you tell me if it was ever gibberish. It never was. It was always a known language, like say Japanese. Acts chapter two. Let's go there. Our next text. All right, <clears throat> Acts chapter two. Right. And as we saw before, I believe in the original uh, manuscripts, uh, we just call it the book of Acts. Uh, it literally is the book of the Acts of the Apostles, right? Uh, it's going on there. But Acts chapter 2, this is the birth of the church. This is the first occurrence that we have the gift of languages or speaking in tongues, if you will. And let's take a look at uh, verses 1 through about 11. But uh, verse uh, 1 says this, And when the day of Pentecost came, they the early church, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. 
And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, literally languages, as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, well, how do you know it's not gibberish? Keep reading the context, right? Now, they were staying in Jerusalem. They were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from where? Every nation under heaven, right? Okay, how many guys can verify that nations speak different languages? Okay, get outside of Vegas and you'll find that out real soon. Okay, or stay in Vegas, they come here. But anyway, uh, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, and because each one heard them speaking in his what? Own gibberish. He had no clue what he was talking about. And so they're just staring at him going like, okay, that was cool. No, in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Man, are, are, are all these men who are speaking uh, not, not Galileans? Right, to use the, the, the modern vernacular, Hey, these are just some hicks from down south. How come they can speak our language? And it wasn't just language. Remember we saw before? They even had the Greek is literally dialect. So they weren't just speaking English to the guy that arose. And I guess I'm using vernacular. To the guy that came from Texas, they even spoke it with a drawl. I mean, that's how accurate it was. That's why they're blown away. Whoa, what's going on here? Right? And and then, then how is it that each of us hears them in our what? own native language. And then he calls out the different languages, the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, right? The residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own what? Languages, okay, or tongues is literally what's going on there. So this is the biblical occurrence, and that's where you should start. This is where it first occurs. At the birth of the church. And every single time, right in the context, you don't have to read some secret hidden Greek. When the gift of languages was going forth, biblically, what was it in? It was always a known language. Okay, always a known language, okay? Now, what's going on, as we saw before, I'm not going to go too deep into it. We've already dealt with this in the, uh, more towards the, the beginning part here with the gibberish. It's not new. Okay, we saw that really what they're doing is what's called a static speech. Okay, a static speech or gibberish, I call it. Okay, it's nothing new. Uh, it's used even today, up to this day, and has been throughout history uh, through many pagan religions, uh, being in Africa, uh, East Africa, uh, the Tonga people of Africa, uh, they, quote, speak in gibberish. Same exact thing. Okay, when a, quote, demon is being exercised. Uh, it's even found among Muslims, uh, Eskimos, Tibetan monks. And again, we're not talking languages, no languages. We're just talking the gibberish thing. It's called a static speech, okay? Uh, it also s- seems to manifest itself in, quote, parapsychological occult groups. That's not a good sign, okay? And even the Mormons we saw before, the early Mormons, Joe Smith originally said that they were be able to do that as well, okay? But what you are seeing today in the, quote, charismatic movement is not the gift of languages. It's not even existence today. It is simply the gift of gibberish, okay, is basically what I would call it. And it's not a gift at all. It's a false teaching, okay? But you tell me if you think this is the act, based on Acts chapter 2, if this is biblical. Let's take a look. In the name of Jesus, you be made whole by the power of God.
tú has hecho, todo lo que tú has hecho, todo lo que tú has hecho, glorifica al Espíritu Santo en esta tarde, glorifícale, 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 dale alabanza, dale a babasaca, dale a la sal, dale a la babasaca, dale a la babasaca, dale a la babasaca, ya que estamos viviendo loco aquí, adorale, 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 That's it. That's it. That's it. That is a whole new level of breakthrough in your life tonight. A whole new level of breakthrough in your life tonight. Kura bashanda robo shiki yara bashanda robo shiki yara bashanda robo shake it bashanda. Mo sharesi kama ma bahotori hese yanada mahasetai. All righty. Uh so is that Acts 2? Is that a known language? Any of that? No, nothing. Now, imagine, I'm sitting there, how sad this is, because imagine, the Bible says, Jesus said when he's ascending to the right hand of the Father, the last thing he says to his disciples, Matthew 28, what's he say? Go and make disciples. Remember, that's what we're doing here, right? Discipline learners, methetes in the Greek. So imagine that was your church service, right? I'm not saying these people aren't saved. Okay, I don't know their heart. Okay, but imagine how sad it is that, that you're never going to grow up. You're never going to become a disciple because that's your church service. Where's the preaching of the Word of God there? It's all about this... A static thing and shaking and moving and the gibberish thing and how are you growing? How are you growing in your knowledge of the Word of God? How are you learning to discern? Well, maybe that's just it. They're not be able to discern because they're not being taught the Word of God because it's all about this experience thing that is being labeled as a movement of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, again, what is ironic is the charismatic community uh, would look at uh, tongues as something that is super spiritual and that you and I, if we're not doing that then somehow we're less than spiritual, okay? And, and, and basically, they're, they're trying to justify by, again, misconstruing the Scripture, and certainly the big tongues chapter, 1 Corinthians 14. But when you take a look at the overall context of 1 Corinthians 14, the whole book of Corinthians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, you look at the Corinthian church, can I tell you something? Read the Scripture, folks. The Corinthian church was not a model church. <laughs> the Corinthian church was a messed up church. Right? And yet they want to say, this is model behavior. No, Paul, the reason why those letters, 1 and 2 Corinthians, are so big is because they had so many problems, including this, that Paul had to address. Right? Let me give you some background on just how messed up that church is, and they were not a model for you and I uh, to follow. Okay? First of all, the Corinthians had allowed the entire world system basically to infiltrate the church. It was basically paganism and Christianity is what was going on. Not a good example, okay? Uh, they were hung up. Let me just give you an outline. of just nothing but problems. Messed up. They were hung up on human philosophies. Okay, that's the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians, right? They had a hero cult worship, okay, just like their society around them did. That's chapter 3. I follow Paul. No, I follow Peter. No, I follow. It's, that was the same problem. Paul had to correct that. Okay, they're involved in terrible, gross sexual immorality. Chapter 5 and 6 talks about that. They were suing each other in court, a church. 
Chapter 6 talks about that. They had a fouled out, uh, a messed idea of the home life and marriage and all that. Chapter 7 is all about that. Uh, they were confused about pagan feasts and idolatry. Chapters 8, 9, and 10 talk about that. Okay. Uh, they goofed up the proper place of women in the church. That was chapter 11. Okay. They misconstrued the spiritual gifts. That's what chapter 12 we just talked about. That's why Paul spent so much time on the gifts because they were messing them up. Okay. Chapter 12. They lost hold of the greatest thing. Yeah. The gifts are for the edification. The body, but you guys are missing the whole main point. Chapter 13, love, you're supposed to love one another, is the greatest thing. If you want to celebrate something, right? Okay. And then, of course, chapter 14, the whole chapter is Paul correcting them, abusing this one gift. Okay. Uh, why? Because they were not a model church. This is not model behavior to emulate. These are problems to avoid. That's the context. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, they had let, quote, the entire mass of the satanic system to infiltrate the church. Listen, their church services were basically what you just saw. That's basically old-fashioned Corinthian church. It was a mass of pagan-style religion with all the ecstasies and all the eroticisms and the sensualities. It was Christianity in part, paganism in part, all wedded together. That's why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, and then later 2, okay? Because they were messed up. It's not something to follow. The gift of languages or tongues was always a known language, okay? As this guy says, let's take a look. Question, what is the gift of speaking in tongues? And is that gift still given today? The first occurrence of speaking in tongues occurred on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The apostles went out and shared the gospel with the crowd, speaking to them in their own languages. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, Acts chapter 2, 11. The Greek word translated tongues literally means languages. Therefore, the gift of tongues is speaking in a language a person does not know in order to minister to someone who does speak that language. In 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, Paul discusses miraculous gifts saying, Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instructions? 1 Corinthians 14, 6. According to the Apostle Paul, and in agreement with the tongues described in Acts, speaking in tongues is valuable to the one hearing God's message in his or her own language, but is useless to anyone else unless it is interpreted or translated. A person with the gift of interpreting tongues could understand what a tongue speaker was saying, even though he didn't know the language that was being spoken. The tongue's interpreter would then communicate the message of the tongue speaker to everyone else so all could understand. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says, 1 Corinthians 14, 13. Paul's conclusion regarding tongues that were not interpreted is powerful. In the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue, 1 Corinthians 14, 19. Hmm. How many intelligible words? Versus 10,000 of what? Gibberish. Why? Because what's the point of the legitimate gifts? They're meant for the common good. That doesn't edify nothing. Nobody. You don't even know what it's talking about. It's a bunch of nonsense. It's a bunch of gibberish. And it wasn't even the true gift, okay? But Paul even says the true gift, okay, if, if you will, to use the vernacular I started off with, the example, if I were to all of a sudden start speaking Japanese, you don't know Japanese, nobody's edified. So somebody needs to interpret it. I'd rather have five Japanese words translated to English than 10,000 and just... Nobody knows what in the world's going on. How's that, how's that going to value anybody? 
Okay, which leads again, as he mentioned, on the second part, the gift of interpretation. Now, that was a supernatural uh, endowment of the Holy Spirit uh, that where a person, just like a person, all of a sudden could have the uh, ability to all of a sudden speak a language they never knew before. Okay, this was the flip side. This is a person that all of a sudden could hear that person speaking that language they never knew before, and they didn't know, and all of a sudden they had the ability to interpret it. Right? Again, why? So that everybody could be edified, okay, so that everyone could understand, okay? Again, let's take a look at the biblical use of the gift of languages and the interpretation of it. One more time. At the same time, if the gift of speaking tongues were active in the church today, it would be performed in agreement with Scripture. It would be a real and intelligible language. It would be for the purpose of communicating God's Word with a person of another language. And it would be in agreement with the command God gave through the Apostle Paul. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. 1 Corinthians 14, 27 through 28. It would also be in accordance with 1 Corinthians 14, 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Hmm, interesting. We're just going through 1 Corinthians 14. Okay, hitting the highlights here. But if it even was the legitimate gift, always a known language, not gibberish, but even if it was a legitimate gift, what's Paul's instructions? Right, because God is not the author of, basically what you just saw, was that confusing or what? Was there any order to that? No, right? That one, that one guy, I guess he was the pastor or something, he starts running out the door. Frankly, I was thinking I'd run out the door too, but that's not what he was doing, unfortunately. <laughs> but anyway, uh, no, that's all confusing. God's not the author of confusion. But he says, okay, even if it's legitimately happening, how many should speak? One, right? And then, even then, you don't even share unless what? There's an interpretation. Why? Why would Paul put that mandate out there? Because what's the purpose of the gifts? To edify, how, right? He didn't want people, and this is what they were doing, and this is what he was correcting. They were basically doing what you saw in the video. Everybody doing uh, like that, whatever, and who's being edified? And that's what he says. I'd rather have five intelligible words and a bunch of that. What are you guys doing? And again, Paul's reprimanding them. This is not model behavior to follow. This is behavior to avoid, okay? So I ask you the question, I'm going to share it, just, and this is a, just a, another, with all due respect, charismatic church service, Okay? You tell me if they're following the biblical mandate of if you have a legitimate gift of tongues, which you don't, but whatever, let's play with that. Okay, it's very orderly. One person stands up, and then nothing happens unless somebody else gives the interpretation, and then they move on because everybody's now being edified. Is that what's being done today? I don't think so. Here's just an average Sunday, apparently, going on around America. Let's take a look.
Friday. Don't you guys feel edified? I mean, that was, whoa, I feel like a stronger disciple right now. How, did, how is that for the common good? Folks, first of all, if that was biblical, and it wasn't, obviously, then what should have been coming out of those people's mouths was, I wanted to hear Japanese, I wanted to hear Russian, right? I wanted to hear some Swahili, throw that in there, throw in some French, gotta have French, that sounds so cool, right? I don't know what that was, it sounded like more like John Travolta, whatever. But anyway, <laughs> maybe he went to Paris, I don't know. <laughs> but they didn't do that, and then, even if it was, one person at a time, in order, God's not the author of confusion. None of this is biblical, okay, uh, is what's going on here. Now, this is why. Now, they, they have a couple caveats. They want to say, well, okay, you got me on that one. It's not biblical. It's supposed to be in language, supposed to be in order, supposed to be one at a time, supposed to be interpreted, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But see, you don't understand. Okay, I'll share this. I, actually, I, before I get into this, I got three, three common things that'll come up. I actually had a lady, I kid you not, she actually agreed with me. And it's not that she has to agree with me. This is what the Bible says. She agreed that, oh, you're right, Pastor Billy, uh, Acts chapter 2 says that it has to be a known language. She said, okay, I agree with you on that. She says, but the reason why you can't understand what I'm saying is because, quote, God told me that what I was speaking was an ancient Mediterranean language. Really? Okay, well, you know what? God told me right here what I need to know. I don't need your experience of so. I mean, how do you how do you work with that, right? But typically they'll also come back and say, "Well, okay, maybe maybe that's not right, but yeah, whatever." And they act like it's not a big deal. No, it is a big deal. This is why they were getting rebuked the Corinthian church two thousand years ago, right? This is not good, okay? But the phrase that you see there in the scripture, the diversity of tongues or different kind of tongues, that eliminates their first thing that they tried to say. They say, "Okay, no, see, the reason why you can't understand what I'm saying." Okay, is because this is a private prayer language, right? How many of you guys have ever heard that one, right? It's a private prayer language. You know, it's, it's, I'm praying in tongues, right? This is some secret language that's only between me and God. Really? Right? Well, let's, let's, see, let's analyze that scripturally. That seems like a disciple thing to do, right? Uh, number one, how could praying in tongues be a private prayer language if it's to be interpreted? Hmm, new thought. Right? Uh, remember, because if it's supposed to be the legitimate gift, then there's supposed to be the counter to interpret. So, but you're saying it's all private? Well, that doesn't make sense. Number two, how could praying in tongues be for self-edification when how many times have we seen this in Scripture? What are the gifts for? For the edifications of the common good, the church. But then you're saying it's private? Well, that's not what the Bible says. Number three, how can praying in tongues be a private prayer language if the gift of tongues, as we saw before, was a sign for unbelievers? It's not about you. I mean, it's not even in existence today, but it's not even about you. It's for other people, but you're saying, no, it's private. That doesn't jive with the Scripture. Number four, the Bible makes it clear that anyone that not, oh, first of all, that not everyone possesses the gift of tongues. Paul says that. Not everybody does. But then how then could then tongues be a gift for self-edification if not every believer can possess it? I mean, then you have basically the haves and have-nots and yet Paul says the gifts are for everybody to be edified. The whole thing falls apart, right? How come you got it, but I... How come you got this private thing, but I didn't get the private thing? And it's all, it doesn't make sense, right? Now, uh, the second thing they'll say is the private prayer language, which is not biblical, right? And the second thing that they'll say, it's a secret language. Not just private, it's secret. You know why? 
because it's all in secret code so Satan can't hear my prayers. How many of you guys heard that one? That's actually out there. Yeah, let's examine that one. They say it's a secret code language that prevents Satan and his demons from understanding our prayers and therefore gaining advantage over us. Really? That's why I can't understand you. All right, let's examine that one. Number one, the New Testament consistently describes tongues, as we saw, Acts chapter 2, is always in a what? Human language. So, number one. Oh, and by the way, did you know that Satan and demons are able to understand human languages? Right? So that doesn't fit. Number two, the Bible records countless prayers uh, from believers in their own language out loud. If you read the scripture, they actually pray out loud. Okay, and they have no concern that Satan's going to intercept the prayer. Even if Satan or his demons heard and understand the prayers we pray, they got no power to prevent the answer to the prayers. God's in control, right? Give me a break, right? Actually, what that does is it denigrates God. As if God, oh man, I, I tried to answer your prayer, but you spoke in a language the demons knew, and I just couldn't do nothing about it. I mean, isn't that what that's assuming? It's, it's ridiculous. We know that God hears our prayers, and if that fact makes it irrelevant whether Satan's demons hear or understand the prayer. Who cares? That's not our focus. God is the one who's in control. God is the one in whom we pray about. We're not, our object of focus is not Satan. Okay. Now, this is why one guy says we must base our faith and practice on Scripture, not experience. And we have to base not just our experience, but anybody's experience based on the Scripture, not the other way around. Many of the cults in the world religions, as we saw before, also report speaking in tongues, i.e. the gibberish aspect. Uh, obviously, the Holy Spirit's not gifting these unbelieving individuals. So if you're saying that gibberish is okay, how come they're doing gibberish? Are you saying the Holy Spirit's blessing them? Why would you do that? They're not Christians. That don't make sense as well. Okay, uh, anyway, so he goes on and he basically says this, the more likely exists, and again, we, we dealt with this before, the more likely reason you're saying, well, why are these people doing this? Where's it coming from? I do think that, a, and I'm just going to, maybe my, don't take my numbers to the bank, but I think the bulk of what you see, including the kids, which personally breaks my heart, but I'll just use a high number, 95% is learned behavior. You know why that girl was going fleeby, fleeby, fleeby over and over again? Because she saw sister so-and-so or so-and-so told her to repeat fleeby, fleeby, fleeby. Okay? Whatever it was. It's learned behavior. Right? They saw somebody in there or somebody pressured them so much that they literally just started spontaneously speaking out gibberish because that's what you're supposed to do. Learn behavior. However, I do think that there probably is an element that you are having a spiritual experience. Okay? It's just the wrong spirit. Because this is what the occult does, as we saw before. So I think most of it's just learned behavior. Okay, it certainly is not biblical as well. Now, let me give you one more. And we already dealt with this before, but let me recap since we're on that. One, they say it's private. Two, they say it's secret. Nope. Three, they say it's a heavenly language. It's a heavenly language. Okay? And what they do is they try to take, shocker, with all due respect, out of context, 1 Corinthians 13, 1, where Paul says, if I speak with the tongues or of men or angels, but I do not love, I am only a resounding gong and a clanging signal. So they say, well, see, there it is. That's why you can't understand what I'm talking about is because it's a heavenly language. Well, first of all, that phrase, their heavenly language, appears nowhere in the Bible. <laughs> That's not, you're just making that up, 
right? What they want to try to do out of context is what I just quoted to you because he said the tongues of men and angels, then somehow out of that, you're getting this heavenly language and that's your justification as to why we can't understand your gibberish and it makes it okay. That's a complete twisting of the scripture. Okay. Oh, and by the way, when you read the Bible, which is a good thing to do, how many guys can verify? Raise your hand. The rest of you didn't raise your hand. We'll keep praying for you. But anyway, so uh, you read the Bible. Do you see angels? When angels, legitimate angels, do appear on the scene, when they communicate, because they communicate, what do they speak in? A known language. So, but that's not even what he's talking about, but I just want to throw that one in there. Okay. Scriptural evidence, right? Paul is using what's called hyperbole, okay, which is a, a common communication technique. Like if I wanted to, hyperbole is basically an exaggeration. He's not being dishonest. It's an exaggeration to make a point, to emphasize something. Get your attention. Hey, this is serious stuff, right? If I, you know, the classic one, man, I'm just so hungry, right? I could eat a horse. You guys would go, wow, Pastor Billy's into that strange meat, man. What's that place down here in Vegas? They serve strange meat. Who's that chef dude? Whoa, that's crazy. No, you guys would instantly know what. What am I doing? Using hyperbole. I'm exaggeration to say what? I am really hungry. Right? Now, if I were to say, man, I am so hungry, I could eat a piece of chicken. What would you say? Yeah, you liar, you're demon-possessed, you're something's wrong, Pastor Billy. Get him out of the pulpit. No. But obviously, that's not true. But anyway, the, we use hyperbole all the time. And that's what Paul is saying with these people there. He says, I don't care what you guys say, this gibberish stuff. I don't care if you want to say, oh, I speak eloquent with men, or even the supposed language of angels. If you don't love, it's a waste of time. That's what Paul's saying. The phrase heavenly language is nowhere there anyway. You're making it up, but that's not even what he is talking about. The pagan culture of Corinth honored their gods, little g, in ritualistic ceremonies accompanied with loud musical instruments such as gongs, cymbals, and trumpets. Their worship service, quote, was a chaotic cacophony. And Paul used hyperbolic language to emphasize that is a bunch of baloney. It's an absolute waste of time. You're not just acting like the pagans. You're not just misusing the biblical gifts, the real gifts, but your worship services are just like the pagan ones. And yet, we're to believe that that is to be emulated. And those of you and I who don't do it, we're resisting the movement of the Spirit of God in the last days, and we're somehow not as spiritual. Wow, are you serious? It's wild, right? But that's the other one that's going on there. One guy, I like this story. He shares a testimony. He says, shortly after I came to faith in Christ, I, I began attending a strongly charismatic church. And I really enjoyed the gusto of the worship and the seemingly evidences of God working in people's lives. And again, that's what we dealt with at the first one, right? I, frankly, I, I wish that, you know, we would be a little bit more genuine uh, as non-charismatic Protestants, that when it's come time to sing to Jesus, that we actually, here's a concept for you, sing to Jesus. It's not a time to stand and say, hey, it's time to read the bulletin. Hey, let's order that pizza. And that's not what Pastor Tom was doing. Don't misunderstand. Okay, he didn't make the call. <laughs> no, it's, no, this is time to sing a love song to Jesus. And it's okay to show emotion. Now, you don't need to be swinging from the chandeliers and all that stuff, but come on, this is a love song to Jesus. This ain't some phony baloney stuff, okay? I wish we would do that. But as we saw, the charismatic church, they, they'll excel in that, and the, the 
not the extremism, but that openness to, it, it's not illegal to raise your hand. It's okay. You're not going to be an apostate, right? Okay. But because they will open that, people who want a more, if you will, vibrant experience, and you can have a vibrant experience with God, nothing wrong with that. Biblically, they back into, unfortunately, charismatic churches. And then here comes this other stuff. Well, that's what that guy is saying. He says, that's how I got started. He said, however, fairly quickly, after several failed attempts by church leadership to give me the gift of tongues, I started to feel like an outcast, like a lower-class Christian. What was wrong with me? Why wouldn't God give me the gift of tongues like he seemed to have given everyone else in the church? The extreme overemphasis of the gift of tongues as evidence of the Holy Spirit led me to question the validity of my faith, even worse, to question God's love for me. When he said, quote, when I got sick and tired of feeling like an outcast, I began attending a different church. Thankfully, many years later, I am, for the most part, recovered. Wow. That's what goes on. Okay? But imagine growing up, and you saw some kids. That's their church services. I'm not saying they're not saved. But how long is it going to take for them to ever become a disciple of Christ? They're not getting into a serious study of the Word of God. It's all about this experience stuff. And so they may be saved right, for 40 years, but they're still basically a spiritual baby in diapers. But then the irony is turned around, and then we're looked down upon as we're like fuddy-duddies. <sighs> Breaks your heart. Now, real quick, we've dealt with this before. What is the evidence that the gift of tongues and languages are not in existence today? Well, as we saw before, the gift of healing, miracles, and discernment, these were more uh, uh, apostolic gifts for the apostles there. Uh, in the beginning of the church, until what time? Until we had the solidification of the New Testament. Remember, these gifts were given, they're called sign gifts, temporary gifts, okay, in order to validate what? The big major occurrence, the big shift, going from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, right? You've got thousands of years of history of people falling. Remember, the early church was all primarily Jews, was, was all Jews in the beginning, then went to Gentiles. So, so how are you going to get the Jews to come from the, the switch from the old covenant? You better do something. Well, that's why God gave them that to get attention to the men to say, hey, hey, listen, it's true. We're moving on right to the new covenant. Listen to what these guys have to say. Well, they recorded that new covenant for us right here. So do we still need those gifts? No. Right. So number one, as we saw last week in much greater detail, if you want to go check that out, if you didn't, uh, that's one of the reasons why. Second thing is we saw before that tongues were a sign, specifically a sign gift for unbelieving Israel, as we saw before. Okay, 1 Corinthians 14, 21 through 22. Okay, fulfillment of Isaiah 28, 11 through 12. Right? They were signifying to the Jewish people that God is going to be doing a new work to the Gentiles. It isn't going to stick to just the Jewish people anymore. And he does that with not just the Jewish language, but all languages. Remember that? Okay, and again, that was a fulfillment of Isaiah that he was made there. Okay, uh, and so that was one of the purposes. Okay, so, but again, that's letting the Jewish people know, guess what? Hey, it's now not just for you, it's for everybody. Well, that message has already been written down for us. It's already been recorded in the New Testament. So do you need that anymore? No. You want, here's your sign for the Jewish people right here. You don't need that anymore. So that's another reason why people would say, and I would agree, that it doesn't happen today. And then also, uh, we saw that uh, uh, we have evidence of history. 
as well that obviously it ceased, right? Tongues are mentioned uh, only in the earliest books of the New Testament. Paul wrote at least 12 epistles after 1 Corinthians for a total of 13, uh, and he never mentions tongues again. I mean, if this is so important, because again, this is like the number, numero uno, big old giant supposed gift that's emphasized in the charismatic movement today. Tongues, 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 tongues. It was never gibberish, whatever, but still, that's emphasized. You would think it'd be all over the Bible. I mean, you emphasize this apparently more, at least what I'm witnessing, than sharing the gospel, than becoming a disciple. So we, I bet every other page in the New Testament is talking about tongues. It's not. Not at all. Not even close. Right? Peter never mentions tongues. James never mentions tongues. John never mentions tongues. Neither did Jude. Right? You got tongues in the book of Acts, okay, uh, briefly in Acts, 1 Corinthians, and Paul did it to correct them. And Corinthians was one of the earlier books of the New Testament. Okay, They stopped later. The later books of the New Testament do not mention tongues again. Even moving forward in the apostolic age, right? The death of the last apostle, the apostle John, right? He writes uh, Revelation, probably 95, 96 AD. He dies shortly thereafter. And then you get into what's called the uh, apostolic age there, uh, the post-apostolic age, right? After the apostles and the early church. And so basically, what was their view? Well, they were saying that it had ceased. It's gone. It's been gone since the last apostle. Uh, apostle, right? John Chrysostom, he states that tongue had ceased by his time. This is in the fourth century. Augustine referred to tongues as a sign that was only during the apostolic age. The first 500 years of the church, the only people who claimed to speak in any tongues, as we saw at the very second study, was a guy named Montanus who was called out as a heretic and a false teacher. That's why we saw this whole gibberish thing. Nothing new under the sun. The early church had to deal with this with some guy who came on the scene and says, hey, I got a word from God. And then here comes the flea, 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 with the two ladies that followed him. Remember that? We did a whole study on that. Nothing new. It's just been rehashed. Okay? And again, they want us to think that this started at the Azusa Street Revival. <laughs> that started way back then, right? With the early church, right? And then let me give you a couple other highlights, right? Uh, the next time, another example is in the 17th century. This is what they call the seven all prophets. Right? Kind of early form of the charismatic movement. Again, long before Azusa. Right? Uh, this is in France. They're given all these prophecies. God told me, of course, the bulk of everything they said was untrue. Another group, this was in the mid-1700s. This was an offshoot of the Quaker. You know those people that invented the, the oatmeal? No, you guys are crazy. Come on. No. The Quakers, the offshoot of the Quakers were basically, you know what, the, if you will, the charismatic Quakers were called? Went from the Quakers to the Shakers. That's just what it was. The Shakers is what they were called. Uh, this is in the mid-1700s. It was founded by a lady, Mother Ann Lee, and she regarded herself as the female equivalent to Jesus Christ. Okay, that's not good. And the Shakers believed that sexual intercourse was sinful even within marriage. They spoke in gibberish while dancing and singing in a trance-like state. Nothing new that these people are doing today. They've just been rehashed. But see, we don't even learn our own history, so we get duped. Let alone, you just need to stick with the Bible, right? Uh, then a Scottish Presbyterian uh, pastor, Edward Irving, okay, members of his congregation practiced speaking in the gibberish and supposed prophesying. Okay, so again, they failed to come to pass. And oh, by the way, when the scripture says, if somebody says to be a prophet, are you be afraid? We saw last time. No. In fact, what was the Old Testament command? If they get anything wrong, kill them. 
Which is funny because you want to bring back certain pieces of the Old Testament and say, oh, it's valid for this, it's valid for today. How about bring back that one? You're skipping over that one, right? You're not being consistent. It's not true. But anyway, so uh, uh, the group eventually merged into the Catholic Apostolic Church, which taught many false doctrine. They embraced several Roman Catholic doctrines and created 12 apostolic offices, in case you're wondering. But that's another early form of the charismatic movement with the gibberish and all that stuff today. Nothing new, okay? All of these, listen, and again, I'm just, we've dealt with this in detail. I'm just giving you highlights since we're back on this topic. One last time, Lord willing. The, every single one of these guys were identified as heretical, fanatical, and unorthodox. The judgment of biblically orthodox believers, who were the contemporaries of all these groups, said they were aberrations. This is not to be followed. This is not biblical. Don't do this. That's the example that we see uh, in history. Thus, we conclude that from the end of the apostolic era to the beginning of now, there were no genuine occurrences of the New Testament gift of tongues or interpretation thereof because it's always to be a known language, and that's not what you see. It has ceased. It's not for today. Okay? We'll close on this. It's a gift of speaking in tongues for today. Some point to passages such as Isaiah 28:11 and Joel 2 verses 28 through 29 as evidence that speaking in tongues was a sign of God's oncoming judgment. 1 Corinthians 14:22 describes tongues as a sign to unbelievers. According to this argument, the gift of tongues was a warning to the Jews that God was going to judge Israel for rejecting Jesus as Messiah. Therefore, when God did in fact judge Israel with the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans in AD 70, the gift of tongues would no longer serve its intended purpose. Just imagine how much more productive missionaries could be if they did not have to go to language school and were instantly able to speak to people in their own language. However, God does not seem to be doing this. Tongues does not seem to occur today in the manner it did in the New Testament, despite the fact that it would be immensely useful. The vast majority of believers who claim to practice the gift of speaking in tongues do not do so in agreement with the scriptures mentioned earlier. These facts lead to the conclusion that the gift of speaking in tongues has ceased. Yep, that's the conclusion I think you arrive at if you stick with the Bible. Okay, now as we close, because uh, I always got to leave on this. Yeah, well, okay, so what? So people, they still speak in this gibberish that they want to pass off as the biblical gift. They don't even follow the biblical mandate of one at a time. It's all a cacophony. It's acting like God's the author of confusion. But then they got their caveats. No, no, it's private. Oh, it's secret. No, it's heavenly. Well, okay, all right, all right, so what? So what? Not a big deal. Folks, this is giving us Christianity. Because guess who gets lumped in with this? The world looks at this aberrant behavior, unbiblical behavior, and you know what, they, you know what the big title they leave it as? Look at those crazy Christians. They don't say charismatic Christians by and large. It's Christians. So we get lumped into this. So then we go witness to somebody. We share with somebody. Oh, you're one of those freaky Christians. I've seen videos on YouTube about you. You guys are weird, wacky. In fact, it's even getting to the point now because of some of this charismatic behavior, they're actually looking at you and I as being dangerous. Okay, and a lot of it is because of this charismatic extreme behavior, right? Now, as we close, let me give you one example, right? Uh, there's actually a documentary out, if you want to check on it. I think the whole thing's still on YouTube. Okay, I'm going to share with you the, the trailer just in a second. But it's actually put on by some secular people, and it's called Jesus Camp. Have you heard of it? 
This came out in 2006, and basically, these guys were concerned about this charismatic group, this Christian charismatic camp, okay? It was called Kids on Fire School of Ministry. It was led by a female pastor. Oh, there's a big problem. We'll eventually get into some of their aberrant teachings, including that, female pastors. Okay, it's led by this lady. I'm not going to call her pastor. Uh, Becky Fisher, okay, and she led this charismatic church camp, right? Now, and I'm not going to get into this real deep because we're going to get into this later, but basically on top of believing, supposedly speaking in tongues, it's gibberish, the old slain in the spirit thing. We'll get into that, Lord willing, next time. Uh, but all this aberrant, weird behavior moving around. They're also what's called dominionists, okay? Dominionists, or the charismatic version would be called kingdom now. And basically the mindset, and we're going to get into this later, but basically the mindset is on top of the speaking in tongues, the rolling around and all this weird stuff, these people believe falsely, because the Bible doesn't teach this, that it is the church's job to make the world submit to the Old Testament set of laws and basically clean up the planet before Jesus can come back okay, to the planet. Hence, they have to establish the kingdom now, right, in order for Jesus to come back. Does the Bible they teach that? Not even close. <laughs> I mean, now, they have some modern names. They call themselves the uh, Covenant People, Overcomers, or Joel's Army, right? Army, no word, army. And, and that's what these people are concerned about. The secular people who goes into this charismatic kids camp is because they felt that they're brainwashing these kids, listen, to act like the Muslim jihadists, the terrorists. It's just the Christianized version. Now, this uh, so-called lady, I'm not going to say pastor, Becky Fisher, they actually did this documentary exposing this behavior, and she looked at it afterwards, and she thought this was great, that this is good. But you tell me, you get your average person who doesn't know better, and they're just saying, look at what these crazy Christians are doing. Watch this documentary. You tell me if you wouldn't come to the conclusion, Christians are dangerous. Okay? Because again, what she is basically telling these people, okay, and let me, let me give you a quote, this Becky Fisher, that she, and this is why she's doing this camp, uh, that she wishes to instill in kids a commitment to impact society, remember the kingdom now thing, to impact society for Jesus on par with how Muslims stir up passion in their students. In other words, to what? Be like a Christian jihadist. Here's just the trailer from that documentary making us look bad because we get lumped in with this behavior. But let's take a look. This is a sick old world. Kids, you got to change things. Boys and girls can change the world? Absolutely. I there are two kinds of people in the world. People who love Jesus and people who don't. Speak the word of the Lord! Where should we be putting our focus? I'll tell you where our enemies are putting it. They're putting it on the kids. How long have you been a Christian? At five, I got saved. Yeah? Because I just wanted more of life. You go into Palestine and they're taking their kids to camps like we take our kids to Bible camps and they're putting hand grenades in their hands. I got Jesus, yes I do. I got Jesus, how about you? 
there's an excitement, yet there's a peace with it all, too. It's really cool. I really feel that we're a key generation to Jesus coming back. And we are a generation that needs to rise up and run with that baton. Yeah! How many of you want to be those who would give up their lives for Jesus? We're being trained to be God's army. There's a new church like this every two days in America. 25% of the American population, that's about 80 million people. If the evangelicals vote, they determine the election. They've taken over the White House, Congress, the judiciary for a generation. This is just the tip of the iceberg. No, I'm not, because that's charismatic extreme, baloney, false teaching. But the world doesn't know different. And so who, who, who gets lumped in with all this? The, we do. And we are looked upon, just because we're Christians, that we're dangerous. We're trying to take over this country. We're brainwashing kids to be a fundamentalist, jihadist, radical, who had the audacity to say, that their way is the only. That's one of the many dangers of this kind of behavior. It's not just unbiblical. It's a bad, bad witness, and it's given a bad impression of true, genuine Christianity. You want to change this world? First of all, who's, who's going to give permission to when Jesus comes back? Rhymes with Jesus. Ready? Yeah, he's going to come back whenever he wants to. Right? He's God. He's not waiting for us to clean the thing up. But he tells us what we're supposed to do in the meantime. You want to change the culture? I'm all about changing culture. But not by raising up some army and forcing it down people's throats. You share the gospel. Because when people get saved, guess what? They're changed from the inside out. That works better than any government. Amen? That's what we're called to do. But see, the world doesn't get that because they're focusing on this. That's an actual documentary out there right now against, unfortunately, we get lumped into it, us all because of the extremism, the charismatic movement. Now, speaking of which, Lord willing, next time we're going to get into now the aberrant behavior. We're going to get into things like slain in the spirit. We're going to get into so-called singing in the spirit. We're going to get into uh, being supposedly drunk in the spirit, this <laughs> uncontrollable laughter thing. That's, uh, apparently, you call it holy laughter, and it makes it okay. Okay, And then we'll get into things like grave sucking and things of that nature, trying to <laughs> suck up the anointing off of a dead person. Oh, yeah, we're just getting started. So we'll get to that, Lord Wine, next time. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God out of love gave us something called the Ten Commandments. 
The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's His standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven? On your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step, to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus, so that we can now have a relationship with God, both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed. The judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty. Uh, you even admit you're guilty. And uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done. You can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy 
the person who has the authority can give them a pardon and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.